T.K. Dawkins is an intellectual. T.K. Dawkins is a leader. Perhaps most importantly, T.K. Dawkins is an executor. Born and raised in Jamaica, T.K. Dawkins had dreams of becoming an attorney. After all, society dictated that that was the path to success. Luckily, by the time T.K. entered university, she realized that success could be reached via many paths. T.K. took advantage of everything the university experience had to offer, both inside and outside the classroom. Upon completion, she returned to her beloved Jamaica. While many were seeking ways to stay abroad, T.K. was trying to find out how and where she could help her community. This in itself tells you everything you need to know about T.K.'s character. She is a giver. She gives her time, knowledge, and resources, all for the improvement of others. Since moving back to Jamaica, TK has established herself as a force in the corporate world and as an entrepreneur. She works hard to succeed at everything she touches in her professional life. And she does. What pleases her soul most, however, is her ability to reach others who are less fortunate and those who need improvement in their lives. TK is not shy about using whatever she has to help in whatever way she can. Her most recent project, titled The Improvement Movement, is designed to teach people how they can use small steps in three key areas to improve their lives overall. You see, TK is not one to accept the word no. She dreams big. Nothing is impossible especially when it comes to the betterment of her beloved Jamaican people. TK is a woman of service, knowledge, and love. She is selfless and exemplifies what we all should strive for. She has accomplished much and still has much to achieve. In this conversation, I guarantee that you will not only fall in love with TK Dawkins' personality, but you will learn a thing or two and you will seek to improve your life in some way. This is the story, thus far, of T.K. Dawkins. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. She is... A director of theater, a master marketer, and an all-around Caribbean queen. T.K. Dawkins, welcome to Planet 30. Why, thank you. After an intro like that, I feel right at home. <laughs> <laughs> as you should, as you should. Now, T.K., you are from Jamaica. Tell us a bit about growing up in Jamaica, an island with such influence uh, in the rest of the world. Uh, growing up in Jamaica has been an absolute blessing. Um, it's very hard to grow up in Jamaica and not have a deep love of Jamaica and everything that she represents. Um, growing up, I was I grew up fairly middle class, had access to, you know, being able to visit a lot of places, being able to access a lot of the beauty and being able to really experience a lot of the cultural offerings. And I mean, it really shaped who I am, what I love, who I love. And, um, and it really and truly has allowed me to 
to just blossom and be a lot more confident. You know, anywhere we go, Crispin, and you say I'm from Jamaica, I've never been met with a negative response to that. And that's been amazing. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. Now, coming from such an artistic country, how did art first affect you? Or when did it? Ah, um, well, my my experience is a little unique because not only am I in an artistic country, but I'm from an artistic family. So my father is uh, one of our more prolific playwrights here in Jamaica. He's been doing it for over 40 years, so before I was born. So I, I was actually born into the, the arts, born into that theater world. Um, I grew up around actors who... You know, other people in Jamaica saw them as stars. I saw them as people who were just my dad's friends. You know, I was able on the weekends to go to rehearsals and watch really great production pieces go from script to to final product. And that was normal for me. Whereas, you know, I can see where other people saw that as, as, as very, very unique and different. So I grew up in theater. I grew up loving music. I grew up around um as in visual arts as well my father is very into paintings and that that played a huge part of our lives growing up as well and so you know jamaica is an artistic country yes but i was definitely slapped with the arts since mm -hmm. birth thanks to my upbringing so you didn't immediately grasp how important are uh, or the uniqueness of your experience until later on in life then Oh, not at all. I thought it was the most normal thing in the world to have actors rehearsing at my home. I, I, I thought it was regular to, to see a rehearsal and, and go to the theater. And it was it was like normal to me until later when my friends were like, oh, my God, is that Charles Hyatt at your house? I'm like, yeah, it's Uncle Charlie. What's up? And they're like, oh, my <laughs> God, you know Charles Hyatt? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Hmm? What? It's, it's not doesn't everybody you know so it, it took a little while you know how it is when you're a kid it, everything is normal until it's not right 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 no and it's, it's interesting because you grew up with a dad who was an artist and a mom who was a successful entrepreneur what what did you want to do when you were a child were you more leaning toward mom's career or dad's career or did you have your own vision you know, I'm so embarrassed to say this now that I'm looking back. <laughs> my father was so successful and he had such amazing artistic influence. And my mother, she was so passionate about entrepreneurship and she had successful businesses. And when I went to school in Jamaica, I don't know, everybody wanted to be a lawyer, a doctor or an engineer. And I kind of just fell into that common vision of success. The, we the, success. the Western entry of success. You know what I'm saying? And so I was just like, ugh, I don't want to do theater. I'm going to be a top lawyer. I'm going to have these, um, this amazing office. I'm going to be, you know, battling it out in court. And so from very early, I had that traditional Caribbean dream of being a big-time lawyer. Interesting, interesting. So you were consciously preparing yourself for what you thought you would become. Absolutely, and and many people told me how how great I would be as a lawyer, and it, that kind of also brainwashed the the artistic nature out of me. Interesting. And so after high school, well, first of all, let's let's touch on your your alma, your alma mater. We know how proud you are of uh, you, the school you attended. Uh, the floor is yours. Tell us a little bit about Woolmers. I mean, if you insist. 
insist on discussing the greatest institution ever created. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a past <laughs> student of the Wilmot High School for Girls. No, but seriously, Wilmot Girls has, I mean, was a blessing. And that's because to me, it had such a wide offering, meaning you know, there were people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, significantly different socioeconomic backgrounds. There were people that just had so many different interests and so many different talents, but yet there wasn't the necessarily cliquish nature of of many high schools that were around, you know, well, at my time, back in my day, Crispy, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, you know, you had a lot of people mixing and mingling and getting to know people from very different backgrounds. And I found later on, again, it was normal to me, but in meeting other people from other high schools and other institutions, I found that people from a certain area kind of hung out with people from that area and people who were, you know, interested in a certain subject kind of hung out with those people from the, that was not the case at Wilmot. We just had a whole lot of people intermingling and it, it really broadened my scope. Um, it, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm, indeed. So you leave Wilmers and you decide to go to Bennington College. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'd say I decided. Okay, tell, well, tell, tell us about that journey. Christine, I promise you, I did not, I did, I did not decide that. No. Um, so I went to a college prep. It was, um, determined that I would go to school in the States. My parents thought that that would again, you know, broaden our horizons, give us exposure. So my brother and I were sent to the States and my brother went to Howard University and I kind of, kind of thought that I would also uh, follow in his footsteps. My college advisor, who was preparing me for the SATs, said absolutely not, based on my personality test and all sorts of stuff. Howard University would not be a good fit for me. I was very annoyed at that information. Why would they say that? <laughs> very annoyed, but I left it alone. You know what I mean? Um, and so she actually recommended Bennington College. She said, based on the fact that I. I went into college as one of those people who at the time thought I wanted to do something, but she thought that I might be more open to exploring other things. So she she wanted to send me to a university that allowed you to do a whole range of things and then decide. So it's not like, you know how some universities you go into the school of hospitality or you have to go into chemistry or you, ha- you kind of have to make a decision what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Bennington isn't like that. You literally can do one course in science, one course in theater, one course in music and one course in law and then decide later on which one you really want to pursue and you'd still graduate in the same amount of time and so how much later on (laughs) (laughs) no we yeah you had like you had like two years and then you just had to buckle down your last two years to make it happen now if i remember correctly um full disclosure tony k and i have known each other for at this point 20 years now makes us makes us sound a a little old 23 yeah yeah yeah. that's about right yeah a little over 20. (laughs) if i remember correctly did Bennington uh, have a system where you gave yourself a grade? <laughs> Bennington had a few unconventional practices. So at Bennington College, um, you had no grades. You were you were 
assessed, not graded. So you received a, like a, I guess a written assessment and based on the assessment, you could tell how you did. Bennington didn't believe in like A's or B's or C's. Um, also, it was clothing optional. So you had the option, if you wished, to go to classes and walk the campus and be in your dorm and whatever, completely naked. You just had to wear underwear and footwear in the dining halls. But any everywhere else, you could be completely naked. Let me get this straight. Yeah, there were nude people on your campus? Absolutely. The teachers could be nude. The students could be nude. Any given day could be a nude day. There yeah. were nude professors teaching in front of classes. This was a, a very art is it is a very artistic school, and it therefore lends itself to um, giving people the opportunity to express themselves however they see fit, and if they see it fit to be in their birthday suit to teach or to learn, they were free to do so. Yes. This is the most fascinating thing I've, I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I, I've known you for 20 years and I didn't know that part. I don't normally share it. I usually get the side eye when I talk to people. <laughs> I, I, you know, after this podcast, I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of applications uh, going toward <laughs> Pennington. <laughs> Bennington College, great institution, it is. <laughs> oh my goodness. But your major was psychology with a um, concentration in mediation and, and dispute resolution, correct? That's correct. Sounds very lawyerish to me. <laughs> I, I can tell you that I did many things. I did a stint in acting, playwriting, I did some science, I did um, documentary filmmaking. I really explored at Bennington. I'm so grateful to that school for that opportunity. But at the end of the day, I don't know, call it the Caribbean programming, but I kind of stuck to what was safe. Not because psychology was, you know, the most exciting or I, I was the most passionate about it. But when I thought of doing say documentary filmmaking, which I was really passionate about when I was learning, I, I kept saying to myself, am I going to make money from documentary filmmaking? If I go home, will this be something that will be, you know, you know, is it feasible for me to do? Is this something? And that was always playing in the back of my mind. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do psychology. <laughs> I'm going to play it a little safe so that it makes me more marketable on the Jamaican market because I always had plans to go back home. So let me ask you about that. Why did you decide to go back to Jamaica? Christine, I don't know how to explain it. So many people have asked me. I was told countless times, you know, pursue something in the States and, and you know, it's, there are so many more opportunities. And that's probably very, very true. I've never felt at home anywhere but Jamaica. I, I, I don't know. I've been to many states. I've, I've, I've visited many places and I always... I just want to come back home. So I always knew that for my personal, for my state of mind and just for my, for, for my peace of mind, I should say, um, I knew home was the best place for me. And the more I explored it is the more I felt like I also needed to be home just based on what needed to happen in Jamaica and how many people were leaving Jamaica. I thought, you know what, let me, let me see what I can come back and do even if it costs me you know the u.s income and the you know lifestyle that other people get access to when they stay in the states at least i'd be home and i, I could make a difference mm. admirable however uh, a, a a little dash of reality uh collided with your life 
when you first went back. Tell us, I know you had a traumatic experience that kind of shifted your mindset. Tell us about that. So I packed my bags. It's, you know, I've graduated. I'm excited. I'm, I'm ready to take on Jamaica and change the world. So my goal was, you know, um, go to law school in Jamaica because once you do, once you do law school in the States, it's kind of challenging to get the degree converted to the, because we're on the British legal system and America is on the US legal system and it's a little challenging to get things converted. So I, I knew that I wanted to do law school in Jamaica. So I packed my bags. I am home. I am excited. I am ready to change the world. And three days later, I was held up at gunpoint right in front of my home. Like while coming out of my, I parked at home. I'm going in my house and some could not be older than 14, 15 years old. Could not be. Had a gun in my face saying, give me your money. Oh, no. And I was just like, ex- ex- excuse me? What? what? <laughs> you know? And so that, 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 you know, my money was taken and he just went away and I looked at him in shock like you're for you cannot be older than 14 in my mind I'm in shock I'm terrified I'm at home so it's not like I can say you know I need to go somewhere safe I'm at home and that completely changed the trajectory of the rest of my life you know when I saw how young he was when I saw the look in his eyes when I saw how easy it was for him to just wipe me out just like that you know I started then to say how is it possible for at 14 15 16 years old why why choose that path versus another and I thought to myself what are the other paths that are accessible um to 14, 15, 16 year olds within certain socioeconomic brackets. And that made me start researching and starting to to really find out what could have caused something like that. And I, I, I was really shocked having been, having grown up in such a, a, a privileged family and a just privileged school and privileged upbringing, it was shocking for me to find how little I knew about the what I call, uh, the quote unquote real Jamaica, and that experience forced me to kind of dive into that and learn more. And you know, it's interesting because that may have pushed other people in the in the opposite direction. Someone would have said, "You know what? I am going to become a lawyer so that I can prosecute these guys." You, on the other hand, decided, "No, I'm not going to become a lawyer. I'm going to help." I I think it was the age of 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 my guess perpetrated like if he was older i think i may have looked at it differently but when i say he looked like a baby like he looked like my baby cousin when he was holding that gun to my head and i knew that at that age something is playing a part in your life that would that would drive you to take the actions that you're taking and i was just curious i wasn't i wasn't necessarily interested in doing anything about it per se but i was just curious as to what could drive a 13 14 year old to that versus being playing football or, or <laughs> having fun with friends or doing the things that i was doing at 14 years old so I, it, it really drove a curiosity in me it was when i found out the limited options and just the amount of prejudice and discrimination that Jamaicans come under just for the fact of living in a certain area or, you know, 
having a certain look or not having a certain amount of money and how the, the cards are totally stacked against them, that's what made me have no interest in furthering a, a, a career in law. I, I wasn't interested in, in prosecuting people like that. I was not interested in figuring out how to at least have a, 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 a hand in changing the system itself that caused these things to happen. Indeed, indeed. Wow. Just getting chills listening to that story. <laughs> now, so, Tony, you went ahead and you started working for the Jamaican Business Development Corporation. Uh, do you see organizations uh, such as, you know, the is it called the JBDC? Mm-hmm. Do you see corporations or companies or organizations such as this? Are they more of a help or do you see uh, flaws with such organizations? I don't think there's any such thing as an organization without flaws. Uh, let me say that first. I think that even the most well-intentioned um, organizations, companies, even people, um, there's always a level of just flaw to every system, right? So let me get that out of the way. Um, an organization like JBDC, I understand the intention and I, I understood, which is what which is what drew me to them. I understood what they, in theory, <laughs> wanted to do and were mandated to do. However, between it being in a corporate structure, between it being a government organization, between the challenges of financial restrictions that come with all things, <laughs> come with all things, especially government organizations in Jamaica, the flaws were definitely there and they were definitely many. And so even though there were a lot of people who were doing a lot of great work and just a lot of putting a lot of energy and effort into um, the mandate of the company, it just, it, the, between the red tape and, and, and just the, how hard it was to make changes and how hard it was to do things, it I could see it frustrated, especially a lot of the younger people on the team who wanted to bring about these changes and just couldn't, and for reasons that didn't necessarily make sense to us. So, it was very frustrating. What are some of the things that can be done? Because I know just about every island in the Caribbean has um, a JBDC type uh, organization. What are some of the things that can be done to improve? Well, so for example, JBDC did things like if you were a, you know, a Jamaican citizen, you had a business idea or even a small business that you had started, you could come into the JBDC, you sit with a consultant, we would have, we had the art department that would give you design business cards, set up a website for you to get you online. There were, um, you know, other departments that had, there were training departments. So whatever you were doing, we would train you on how to modernize or how to be more efficient and effective um you had the business side that taught you how to yes you're great at this you know product but you need the business knowledge this is how you keep your books so the intention was great um the, the challenge or what i what i think could be improved in an organization like that is accessibility as well as efficiency within the organization itself so for example if i saw if if, if a person came into our, our organization and they were slated to receive 
you know, workshop A, B, and C. And that's just, you know, when you come in, you do workshop A, B, and C. And we're like, mm, based on this person's business, based on what they want, based on the vision, you know, it really would be better for them to be to do workshop B, E, and A. It's, it's not allowed. The structure is a structure. The system is the system. And this is how we do things here. And so the, the person just had to go through things that even if it wasn't necessarily the best thing for them. And I, I think that a lot of these organizations, I understand the importance of structure and the importance of having everything having its place. But I just think there's a lot of flexibility that is needed, especially when it comes to making change and when it comes to improving, because everybody has an individual case that needs an individual that needs individual attention. And I don't think this broad brushed, this is how you help people, or this is how you teach children, or this is what a class should look like, or this is a topic that should be covered. I just feel like we can have a lot more room for individuality and um, yeah, taking people on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. I think that would help. Most famous words of any organization that's about to fail. We've always done it this way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so, TK, you're back in Jamaica. You decide to go back into the, a world that you had previously ignored a little bit, the world of theater. And your dad allowed you to de- direct one of his uh, beloved plays. Even the the newspaper, the Gleaner, had complimentary things to say about your uh, debut as a director. What did that feel like? Tell us about the experience, um, you know, taking on your dad. Because, you know, fathers can be very possessive of their things. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> did, did he sort of allow you to really take over? Did he, did he have a little bit of suggestions? No, you know, my father is great at handing things over, um, probably almost to a, to a fault. So, so as I said, my father has been a playwright for many, many years, and he had a production. It was supposed to be as usual. He wrote it. He had a team of directors that he chose from. Everything was set. I had read the script. I read, you know, my brother and I read all of his scripts, give us, give, give feedback. It was the norm. And then the director who was supposed to direct Um, I don't remember what happened, but he was no longer available. And my father goes, oh, that's too bad. All right, TK, well, you're going to have to direct it. And I go, wait, excuse me? And he's like, yeah, I think you're ready. And I go, no, no. See, what you're saying is directing your your show that goes public. Like, people actually watch it. (laughs) I don't know what you're saying. He's like, yeah, 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 you're doing it. Let's go. Kristen, I was terrified. I mean, that's pressure and intimidation because it's not like your dad is one of these playwrights that's up and coming. It's one of those things where you know thousands will come to see this thing. Guaranteed. And, uh, you know, I was was terrified. Um, You know, and my father is not the type that you're like, okay, this is what I was thinking. Do you think I should do this or should I do that? He'd look at me and be like, you're the director. It's the director's choice. And he's done. And I'm just like, oh, okay, um, all right, well, let's do it this way. And he's like, okay. It was the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying experiences. It was, however, absolutely beautiful in that that discomfort really helped to, that really helped to push me forward, not just in theater, but in life. Um, and, you know, daddy, acted as if he was just leaving me alone but he was always like this silently present 
force that if I, I knew that if I ever needed him or if there was anything huge that came up, he was definitely always there. Um, he gave me access to as much resources, people, books, anything that I needed to, to, to you know, help me feel more confident in the process. Um, he was there to provide it as well. So it was an amazing experience. And thank God. People really enjoyed the show. Crispin, they actually liked it. They liked the directing. They didn't think it was garbage. It was amazing. So that started my directorial uh, journey. And, and you've done four plays since? Four plays in total now, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. TK, the director. But <laughs> So while you're doing theater, you were also uh, shifting gears again and going into the corporate world. And you worked for Johnson and Johnson and Colgate. These are major players on the global market. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. So, <laughs> tell us about that experience, and then tell us again, in true TK fashion, why why didn't you stick with that, and and you sort of evolved again? Um. So I I was introduced to the the corporate world um, by via marketing. So I was doing marketing at first for Johnson and Johnson, and then scooped by Colgate, um, Palmolive, all all under the same umbrella. There was the same distributor that distributed all the brands, and you know I just worked with various brands. But I, I ended up really being assigned to Colgate. Such a great experience. Um, I did it mainly for the experience. I did it mainly because the team, the company itself came highly recommended and I knew that I would learn a great deal, especially in marketing, which I was very interested in. Um, why didn't I stay with it? Crispin, I, I'm very grateful for opportunities. I'm, I, 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 I acknowledge, especially when you have a good thing going, that there are many people who don't. And so I'm very grateful for all the opportunities that I have. But you see, you see genuine joy. You see genuine peace. <laughs> That's very important to me. Very important to me. And after years, I was with I was with them for ten years. And you know, I had some great experiences. Loved my boss. Loved my coworkers. But the corporate system itself was something that I I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't dig it. I couldn't dig it. And even though I was in a, a very privileged position as a, as a manager and I got a lot of perks and I got a lot of freedom. It was very challenging for me to see within that system how many people were working so hard and suffering. I was really sick and tired of seeing people work really hard for 50 weeks and only getting two weeks vacation. And just based on their salary, they couldn't do anything with those two weeks vacation. I was so pained by the fact that I'd have a friend who would have a baby and would be crying literal tears after their eight weeks leave because they just didn't want to leave their kid. But the company called to say, listen, your maternity leave is up. Get back to work. I was really frustrated by so many really smart people wanting to come and work for the company, but because they didn't have the means to get a college degree, they were automatically not considered because you just have to have this degree in order to even enter the the gates, which they were probably a better candidate than the person with the degree, but the system is just such that you must have a degree or else you're nothing. No exceptions. Um, You know what I mean? There were just so many things. There were so many people who worked so hard and they didn't have enough money 
to get to work at the end of the month because their work money ran out before they were able to get to work the next day. It, it, the system itself, though I loved the company, though I loved the people, I didn't love the system. And I'm not one of those people to stay in a system and complain about it. I'm one of those people to seek a, seek, seek out a system that works better. And that's what I did. And that's that's what made me not stay in that um, in that corporate structure. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, tell us about some of your entrepreneurial uh, exploits. I know you were in the travel industry for a while. Tell us some of the things that you've done. <laughs> yeah, so with my um, uh, being a little disenchanted with corporate itself, I understood that, listen, business is needed. I'm all about business, entrepreneurship, without the corporate restrictions. And so I thought, how do I have that without, you know, all the red tape that comes with it? And and I was introduced by a friend to the industry of network marketing, which I had never heard of. Um, and when I was doing some research and asking people about it, I actually was getting some really negative feedback on the industry. And I'm like, really? But it seems pretty dope. It, it gives you the ability to basically partner with a company that's already in motion and has everything laid out but you kind of just have no boss. You're just in charge of marketing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ignore the naysayers. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to pursue it and just see what happens. That's me, though. I'm that girl. I'm, I'm a try. Like, you can say what you want to say, but I'm a try. At least try. And um, and I found a company in the travel space, which was which was incredible. So um, what they did was they allowed people from all socioeconomic backgrounds, the ability to see the world by making it very accessible in terms of the price point. And I was very interested by that, especially as a Jamaican who knew many people who traveled and knew many people who had never traveled. And I strongly believe that exposure is one of the greatest things that you can give to our people. Yes, education. Yes, you know, schooling and the, the, the degrees and stuff, that's very important. And Caribbean parents really focus on, on making sure you have a strong schooling foundation and all that stuff. But there's nothing to me more powerful than being exposed to different cultures, different countries, different ways of thinking, different ways of doing things through actual experience. And so when I saw that company, I was just like, this is dope. I mean, and, you know, I just thought to myself, I would share the, the the ability to see the world with others and just, you know, take it from there. Little did I know that, you know, a few years later, I would have been um, promoted to a level, one of the highest levels in the um, Caribbean in that, in that company. I was asked to train all over the island, all over the world. Um, and it really exposed me. It was my first time being exposed to things that I wish people were exposed to all the time which was personal development and really taking responsibility of your personal growth and that company that experience that industry forever changed my life forever i am it's one of the best things that has happened to me was being introduced to the industry and being introduced to that company wow 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 tell us about some of the places you've traveled to because i know you're always on the plane don't make it look like that i've been to a couple places so i've been to um i've been to machu picchu in peru which was amazing i've been to um the united arab Emirates. so i've done you know dubai um i've done of course i've done almost every state in the united states i've gone to cuba um bahamas mexico uh 
I've, I've been around. I've been around. It's, it really pa- pa- has been a blessing. Passport collecting stamps. <laughs> I've been around. It's been a, a true blessing. Anywhere that you haven't been that you that you still want to go? I was booked to go to, to, to South Africa for my birthday this year. It was supposed to be, um, it was actually a tour between South Africa, um, Kenya, and um, Ghana. And it had to get, uh, it had to be put off based on what was happening. So, Gee, I wonder why. I, I have to go to Africa, some countries in Africa, very soon. Yep. On my plan, on my list as well. Rwanda's one, uh, one on my list. Oh, really? Okay. I'm in love with what they're doing and what they have done. I'm embarrassed because of how little I know about African nations. I, I, I only know what I've heard. I haven't done a lot of reading. And what I've learned is that what you hear and what is the reality can be very different. And so I want to experience it myself. So I'm definitely headed there as soon as possible. Even about some of the Caribbean countries. Oh, even about our own countries. Like, <laughs> I hear about Jamaica and I'm in Jamaica and I'm like, really? Is that what you think? Really? You know, so I understand that perception and reality can be very, very different. So I no longer take perception as gospel anymore. Trust me. Indeed. Now, Tony, there's so many um, women like yourself that are just, to, to our colloquial term, they just run it. You guys are just running it. How come uh, we don't see more female prime ministers and premiers in the Caribbean? What a, what a question, Kristen. Um, why do we not see more women in m- major, major leadership roles? Um, I think there are several reasons. I think that women, though we are... We are usually, usually um, raised to be responsible, you know, from young women are the ones, girls are the ones who are usually given the chores and we're expected to have these, you know, these grades and we're expected to have these curfews and, you know, don't do this, don't do that. We're very governed, even from young. And, And so that kind of molds us into being good workers um and oftentimes especially for caribbean women we excel as workers however i find that many women myself included for many many years lack the confidence for leadership so if you were to give us a project and say this is what needs to be done make it happen a woman is going to take it and she's going to tear it up but if you give her an organization, for example, and says, run it, you know, you're free to run it, just do what you need to do. Then it's like, should I do this? Should I do that? You know, you kind of get into that, you know, am I, am I the, should I be the one to be doing this? What do you, I, I want to do this. Do, what do you think? Do you think I should do this? And then you get a lot of like, okay, this is what I want to do. And at the minute they're told, no, I don't think you should do that. They're like, oh, you don't think so? And it kind of changes their minds. And so I, I think that many women, though we would probably be such a better fit in so many ways mm-hmm. <laughs> for of leadership we simply lack the confidence and I do I blame our, our upbringing and society's expectations for that but it's I interesting because women lead generally are great leaders at the household 
you're, you're educated by mostly women in terms of the teachers. They run massive institutions uh, in terms of schools. They're the principals. You, you have several women see, uh, that are CEOs and country managers for, you know, the, your Digicels and your Flows and, uh, you know, beverage companies. But when it comes to politics, I, you, you know, it's, it's so disproportionate. There's what I want to say and there's what I should say. Which one do you want to hear? I want to hear both. <laughs> <laughs> what I should say is that, you know, and I, I know for sure that, uh, you know, female leadership is and will continue to be on the rise in the field of politics. Um, I know definitely in Jamaica, there are many, many, you know, members of parliament more and more coming in who are female doing excellent jobs on both sides, you know, on, in all parties. Um, and so I'm sure that we're going to be seeing a lot more um, women really rising to the top in politics. I think we just maybe got a, a later start in politics than we did in many other areas. The door was kind of opened or blown up blown up for us <laughs> a little later on. So we're coming. Don't worry about it. We're coming. Um, what I should not say is, um, I don't know, politics kind of seems so, can, can, can sometimes be so dirty that I just feel like, Women, I, I know so many women who would love to make a difference, and they're just like, I would never touch touch politics. It's too dirty. It's too yucky. You, you have to be too icky, and, and of you know, you have Stain. to kind of bend a lot of your moral standing in order to to make it in politics. And so they opt to rather, as you say, they'll lead a school or they'll they'll lead an organization, <laughs> but they're not touching leading the country just based on what comes with that. Now. It, you know, continuing in the same vein, I think that over the years, especially within the last 10 years, where there's so much more information about Africa and the African diaspora, which obviously incorporates the Caribbean, do you tell us about the, what you see on the horizon for people of African descent, especially, especially in the Caribbean, um, in terms of them unifying and really crunching down and owning, um, you know, our development spiritually, uh, economically, you know, where, where do you see, or what do you see as possible if things are done correctly for the African diaspora in the Caribbean and, and the African diaspora as a whole? Um, Crispin, I think that people are waking up. I think that our people are, are waking up. I know that definitely in the past year or two, I have. You know, um, I realized that nobody's coming to save us. Nobody is coming to give us anything, hand us anything, or necessarily do anything for us. For us to make significant change, we have to do it. And there is no way for us to do it without uniting and, and, and just, and just being a united front. And I think that more and more people are waking up to the fact that, you know, <laughs> It's it's sad to say, and I try not to focus on it, but we as a people, we as a people of African descent, we have a whole lot of enemies. We have a whole lot of enemies that smile at us. We have a whole lot of enemies that look at us and hate us and make it very clear. We have a whole lot of enemies that kind of step in our ways very subtly. We have a whole lot of enemies that will just slam the door in our face. It doesn't really matter how they do it. We have a whole lot working against us. And this, the past two years, especially have brought a lot of these 
enemies to the forefront and made it a lot clearer than it has ever been before. And so now I'm hearing a lot of different conversations from people of African descent, well, in my circle anyway, that are now waking up to the fact that, you know, maybe we really should start looking at alternative ways of banking since now we're learning that the banking system is not necessarily as fair to people like us as it is in other areas you know maybe we should start pooling funds together to buy properties because now we're learning that even though we're doing the same jobs we are being paid less than our counterparts who are a different race i see people now having at least having that conversation and putting things in place and i think that I, I always I always revel at the fact that since the days of being enslaved, one of the most crucial tactics that was used was division. Mm. splitting up families putting people who didn't speak the same languages together so that they could communicate making sure that gathering was illegal making sure that you know what i mean like there was always this plan for hundreds of years to ensure that black people didn't come together and you know it's fascinating not to cut you off but mm -hmm. their their laws i know in some states their laws that you know you can't gather because it, it it could be potential quote unquote gang activity. Now my question is, I wonder why it's so important to keep us apart. Is it because before we were kept apart, we were such an unstoppable force? Could it be that when black people came together, no matter which countries they were from or which tribes they were from, when they came together and decided, listen we are doing this no one could stop us and so you know the system was like okay hold up this is not going to work if they come together so let's make sure they don't now if that's the case <laughs> why not do exactly what they're trying for us to not do you know what i mean and so on the one hand it's 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 i can say that very easily like why don't we just get together why don't we just right, together right. and work together and let's just all unify and it will be fine but we're also dealing with generational trauma of 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 don't you can't trust this person you know this person is like this oh that person is an african black well you're better than that person because you're a caribbean oh well that person is light-skinned so you know that person is a little better than you because you're dark -skin. i mean we're talking about generations of programming that has taught us to distrust each other dislike each other and it's now for us to unlearn those things and learn the new way which is we can't do this unless we're doing it together i smell a book coming soon <laughs> receive it christine it's not on the horizon but i receive it <laughs> <laughs> tony k is such a great thinker you know I, I so i i obviously enjoy speaking with you as always but i just had to squeeze those questions in because i i knew something profound was going to come out why thank you profound i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> but everything that you've said leads on to one of your latest ventures the improvement movement and i love the name by the way why thank you the improvement movement was born out of necessity and and it's it's so funny um 
how when your back is against the wall and you're like, well, I need to get myself out of this situation, some amazing things can come from it. So, you know, because I was in theater and travel, when COVID hit, it was that was like ground zero for COVID, especially in Jamaica. Um, theater, all theatrical productions had to be closed. You know, our airports were closed, travel was closed. So my both my industries were shut. When I say completely down, came to a complete halt overnight. It really, after getting over the shock, you know, one had to say, okay, well, you can't roll over and die. What can one do now? And, you know, this very same idea of, I've always thought about how do we unify? How can we come together? How is it that we can make ourselves better as well as, you know, just, just, just make our countries better? And the improvement movement um, came to me. And the improvement movement is a, a community that has grown so much faster than I had anticipated, thanks be to God. And um, it's, a, it's a community that comes together under in order to improve ourselves in four major life pillars, uh, mind, body, money, and community development. I think that we have not, as a people, we have definitely not been taught enough about the power of our minds. We have definitely not been taught enough about how easy it is for us to break the curse that is especially in the Caribbean of lifestyle disease in the body. So like the diabetes and the high blood pressure, it's way too rampant and there it's way too easy for us to stop it, for it to be as rampant as it is. So um, that's also our focus and money. Oh my goodness, Crispin, we don't talk about money. I, You know when I realized that we're not talking about money when I went to when I went to university in Vermont mm-hmm. and I would go and visit my, you know, these my new white friends and we'd sit around the table for dinner when I'd visit them at their homes and the conversations that they would have about investments and business and, you know, you know, the ratio of this to that and what's happening on the global scale and the economy in this country. And I'm like, what? Like, this is just a regular dinner conversation. And it made me realize how far behind the starting line we were when it came to finance and just an understanding of money, growing it, multiplying it, investing it, you know, creating it. I mean, we were just very far behind. But you know, you and know, so the old thing is that in the Caribbean, children should be seen and not heard. And, you know, absolutely. you don't get involved in adult conversation. And part of that whole adage is, you know, West Indian adults, it's, you know, our parents and our parents' parents' generation, they don't talk about how much they make, it's, it's seen as obscene, right? Uh, and they, they don't tell you anything about your money unless you owe them money. Crispin, in the 10 years that I worked in corporate, I had pretty much the same co-workers for 10 years. As in, we sat in the same office, we did the same work. To this very day, I have no idea what their salary was as compared to mine. No one talks about salary. No one talks about, it, it's the strangest thing to it's me. divide and conquer. <laughs> It's the strangest thing to me because the only person that protects is the corporation. If I know how much you're making, you know how much I'm making, and we both know how much work we each do, then I can say, Christine, it's not fair that you, you're making less than me. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Let's go to the boss and demand that you get 10% more. Well, 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 well conversely, more. people try to protect themselves and say, well, I'm making more than, than Tony, so I might want to shut my mouth. Because Tony will make a row if she knows how much I'm making. And therein lies the problem with not uniting. Because I wouldn't do that to my family. So why should I do it to you? 
if my brother and I are working at the very same place and my brother is earning less, well, let's be real. <laughs> let's say I'm earning less because chances are, as a woman, I would be. Why would my brother, who wants the best for me, say, mm, I don't want Tony Gay to make more. I'm making more. Let me shut my mouth. He wouldn't because we're family. And that's how we need to start looking at things because what's good for you is good for me. Today, we have a saying in Jamaica, today for me, tomorrow, tomorrow for you. For yes, you. you might be advocating for me now, but tomorrow, best believe I'll have your back. And if we live like that, we are unstoppable. Love it, love it, love it. Tony, what is the best advice? And this could be pro- personal or professional. What is the best advice that you've ever been given? easy it came from a, a life coach of mine josh big up yourself anywhere in the world that you are change my life um he said to me change your energy and you will change your life and what he meant by that was you know there especially during covid especially in just times of uncertainty and just things can be coming at you and it's very easy to get into a Oh, I wish I had more money. Oh my God, where? How am I going to make this next payment? Oh, why is this? Why is my boss being so stressful? This, this is so hard. I'm always so tired. It's so hard to do this. I have all these kids, and I don't know what to. Do. And it's very easy to get into this place of why I don't want this to be happening. I don't want that. I need more of this. I need. In, I don't have enough of that. It's very easy to get into that. But the more of that that you say and you think and you visualize and you talk about and the more of that that you focus on is the more of it that you'll get. And he said to me at a time when I needed it most, he said, if you change your energy, it will change your life. Speak of what you want. Speak of who you want to become. Speak of how much you want to have. Speak speak as if you already have it. Walk into a room as if you are the person that you want to be in the next 10 years. Be it now. Dress like how you want to know. Speak. I, I mean, I did that and it has completely changed my life. There was a, a, a different set of people entered my life. And opportunities started coming at me. You know, business started coming in. And it was incredible and so i would say to anybody especially in these times who are stressed out anxious about the future uncertain about what's happening don't think of the uncertainty write down exactly what you want write down how much you want be as detailed as possible where do you want to live what do you want to drive who do you want to be what are the characteristics who are the friends you want in your life what kind of clothes do you want to buy all of that visualize it and speak of it as if you have it right now and it will be amazing to you one year from now mm. how close how much closer you are to that than, than now I, t- I told you a book was coming soon <laughs> <laughs> um my next question was actually uh what is the best advice you can give but i think we've covered that <laughs> the best advice i can give to black people especially well let me not say black people let me say caribbean people start looking at holistic ways of changing your mindset in in jamaica anyway i'm not sure how it is um, crispin all over the caribbean things like meditation things like yoga things like alternative means of connecting to source are are looked down upon it's sometimes thought of as sacrilegious it's sometimes thought of as you know you're really going against the grain i'm not here to try to convert anyone or to put down anyone's religion 
I personally have found that to be absolute garbage. Um, what I have found is that the meditation and learning about breathing exercises and doing the yogas and all these things that we are never exposed to in the Caribbean is some of the most life-changing work that you can do. And so I say, if you are not already meditating, at least, at least look at it, look into it and look at the benefits that it's been having for a lot of people of a lot of different races and just see for yourself if it doesn't make sense at least try it it's free it's simple it's easy and if you'd like i can take you through it i do it mondays to fridays absolutely free 7 a.m to 7 30 a.m central standard time on a zoom you can get the link in my bio on instagram and we're going to talk about that in a minute um <laughs> <laughs> What would you what would you say to your 16-year-old self? Relax. Relax, like calm down. It's going to be okay. At 16, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know what I'm going to be and suppose I fail this exam and suppose I and would I ever find my husband and will it ever it's going to be fine so you relax. You're you're fine. And and that's what I would say to my 16-year-old self. Just like just stop stressing think about what you want the same thing think about what you want and just focus on that and just just relax calm down it's not that serious mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> now this next question um i won't tell you who it uh who it came from but somebody special <laughs> that you mm -hmm. that you that narrows it down but okay <laughs> <laughs> what's been your biggest fear and have you overcome that fear Oh, that's easy. Um, my biggest fear as a Caribbean woman has been what, how my actions or um, steps in life are perceived by others. So I guess you'd say the opinions of others. Um, since being raised, you know, like I'd be talking to my mother, my mother would be like, keep it down, maybe then suppose the neighbors can hear us. Or, you know, you'd be wearing something and people would be like, oh, you know, why are you wearing that? Everybody else is wearing this. And there's there's always been this, this for me anyway, based on my upbringing, this kind of desire to fit in and not rock the boat, not make people uncomfortable. You know, you, you be a good girl, Tony K. Be nice, be kind, be, be this, be that, be this for everyone. And I kind of got that, got that from young. And I have found that um, that does not serve you when you are, especially when you are going for big, huge goals. Chances are you're going to definitely rock the boat. And so one of my biggest fears was the opinions of others. Have I gotten over it to a large extent? Are there still some people that, you know, if they're in the room, it will make me <laughs> uh, think twice about saying certain things or doing certain things. It will. I'm not going to, I'm going to keep it real with you. Yes, there are those people, but for the most part, I think that I have come a very long way when it comes to that. If I, if I hurt your feelings, sorry, not sorry. That's just who I am. So you go. You can't be, you can't <laughs> you know? be all things to all people. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, that very special person was your brother. I knew it. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. <laughs> Mr. Chris Dawkins, he was on season one of Planet 30. You should check out his interview for those that have not heard it. Yeah, his interview was fire, and his book, From Fair to Fire, is pretty awesome. Too. Exactly, exactly. Cassie, Chris, Cassie, I, wasn't, I didn't have your back. Chris, you see what I did there? Chris, did you see what I did there? I, I saw see you. That? I see you. I okay. see you. All right. I just <laughs> make sure. <laughs> so, Tony, there's the improvement movement. 
Uh, what other projects are you working on right now? Um, currently, I I have been approached on a project that I actually signed an NDA, so I cannot say much about it. But what I what I can say is that um, there are some projects that are really geared towards helping Jamaicans economically benefit from the culture of Jamaica. Mm. Um, it's Jamaicans that make the culture the culture, but Jamaicans very rarely benefit financially from that culture. It's usually exploited internationally with very little tra- very little trickling down to actual Jamaicans. And so don't, don't, there is don't, a project don't, that I'm... Don't get me started. <laughs> when when Hall becomes I'm, Tropical House, we have a problem. Don't get me Christine, don't do, let's not do that. Let's not go there. So <laughs> there are some projects on the horizon that's really helping to, to shift that. And I'm excited about where that could lead. And that's all I can say about that at this time. Wonderful, wonderful. So TK, tell us about, you You, fa- you started something fascinating um, with your dad. And it's, it's so interesting to see a daddy-daughter combo um, just winning on Facebook. And on social media, tell us about Dad Vice. By the way, I love the name. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so Dad Vice JA started by accident. Uh, my father and I work out. We go walking in the evenings, and um, I we, we usually just end up talking. And I recorded one of our conversations one night, and you know, I dropped it in. I think it was a friend group chat, and my friends were blown away that I was having those types of conversations with my father. And I'm like, yeah, we talk about stuff like this all the time. They were blown away that I could have those types of conversations with my father. And I thought, yeah, I do that all the time. And it it struck me that people found it so strange that I had such an open, you know, communication with my dad. And then it hit me that a lot of people don't have access to their own father, or if they do, they don't necessarily feel comfortable speaking to their fathers. And so I decided to share my father's wisdom and, and guidance with the world. It struck me that people don't necessarily have fathers that they can speak. Some people don't have access to their fathers at all. And I have benefited dramatically from having, you know, a fatherly presence, fatherly guidance and fatherly wisdom. And I thought, well, why be selfish and to myself, let me at least put it out there and, you know, see can, if his wisdom can benefit anyone else the way it has benefited me, um, then why not? And therein started Dad Vice J.A. Uh, just threw it on social media to see what happened. Was totally surprised when hundreds of thousands of people started watching it on um, TikTok, um, which is our main platform, as well as Instagram. So, yeah. A little raunchy, you know. It's a little, it's a little different to get sex tips from your dad, but it's really, really good at. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's honest, right? <laughs> how, how do? Let me ask you this: How do some of the the TikTokers that are not from the Caribbean react? People think it gives really great advice. You know, before we, I started uploading the videos, I said, hey, "Listen, we are exposing to the internet. The internet." is sad. <laughs> like, comments might be a little not so nice. So get ready for it. You know, we kind of prepared ourselves. 
him. But we've been totally blown away by the positive. I mean, people really, really his advice, which, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad for. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you also started um, a movement, as I recall. Uh, tell us about the movement and how is that, how is it going? Uh, it's going, it's a labor of love. So it's improvement movement. And the goal is to have a community of people that just do three daily hacks, preferably though. But, you know, time-wise, that may not be possible. But three-day habits, a 30-minute workout, a 15-minute meditation, and reading 10 pages every single day. But I'm convinced, Crispin, that especially in Jamaica, you know, that's where I am, so that's kind of where my focus is. If Jamaicans especially took up those three very big habits, game for not them their families and their communities but for the entire island we are you know plagued with diabetes high blood pressure you know all these things that i know that a just 30 minute workout would be would would um our educational system uh doesn't necessarily expose us to some of the more empowering books some of the more uh, that would really help us our self-image and building our confidence we were exposed to those books and read those books it would make a huge difference and meditation is something that i think every human being should do at very recent and it totally changed my life and so it's amazing how these simple habits have made a difference in my life and my friends lives and i thought how great would it be if average jamaican did habits as well that's my mission my mission is to make these three daily habits a regular habit person and just see what happens because sure it will be great awesome 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 tell us a bit about your tv hosting gigs you are the (laughs) alex trebek of jamaica (laughs) i've never looked at it like that but okay all right um i (laughs) I do host a TV show on Jamaica's number one TV station, Television Jamaica. Um, And this is a TV show that's been around for, I believe, about 15 years. I've been doing it for 10 years. And it's a a kids' games show that's very, very popular in Jamaica. I am so blessed to have gone for the audition and they selected me and to have been doing this for now the past 10 years. It's been amazing. I love it. I love every minute of it. And I look forward to doing it for years to come. What's the name of the show? It's called Junior Schools Challenge Quiz. Now, wasn't there a, 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 a was it a senior schools challenge quiz? Yes. Originally, it was the senior, which is the high school version of it. And then there's the junior, which is what we call prep school and primary school. Ah, got you. Um, so I do the, I do the babies. Uh, high school. Yeah. But the prep and primary schoolers, yeah, I love them. So it's been a blessing. The Alex Trebek of Elementary School Jeopardy. (laughs) (laughs) Of of Jamaica, Alex Trebek of Jamaica, I should say. That's a wonderful gig. And and you do a great job. I've seen some clips. Thank you so much. I enjoy it. Very interactive. And the kids love you. They like me now. I can tell you this. When I took over from the original host... When people saw that I was the one hosting, the kids would cry. Like, they would literally cry because they didn't want me to have anything to do with them. 
But you know, you know how it is. Yeah, time um, time heals all. Better in time, and people get used to you in time. And now, if I'm not doing the show, the kids cry. So <laughs> look at that. You know, it, it, the my how t- things have changed. How my how things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Tony K, are you? Would you say that you're living the dream? I would say that I am. Uh, to a certain level and the only reason I hesitate if you had asked me that a year ago I would have said absolutely this is literally my dream life I can't believe that I'm living it I, I'm I'm going to be honest with you know COVID has put a spin on a lot of the things that were you know like on automatic pilot for me it, it, it really put a a curveball through a curveball at my life and but what I'm so grateful for is that because of the pivoting that I've had to do and because of I've had to be so creative in kind of creating things out of nothing it has grown me on a level that I would have never grown had COVID not happened it has brought people into my life that I would have never had in my life had COVID not come so right now I am transitioning and pivoting back into living the dream life but i'm going to keep it real it has been challenging times during covid up to now and so it's just a matter of you know taking this time to learn and and really (laughs) do things differently moving forward Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now you can tell a lot about a person by their taste in certain things and so i have to ask uh-oh. Let's get back to, to the root of it all. Jamaica. Okay. What is your favorite Jamaican dish? Uh, easy. I love food, generally speaking. Give me food, I'm eating it. However, favorite of all times, I'm going to say oxtail and rice and bees. Oh, woman uh, after my own heart. So good. <laughs> Where's your place of zen in Jamaica? Portland. Best greatest parish ever portland has amazing rivers amazing beaches it's not it's not super touristy no offense to the tourists we love you keep visiting however uh, <laughs> it's not as touristy so you really you really get to interact with the locals and have lo- a local experience there portland sticking with our jamaica theme what is your favorite reggae song what's that song that puts you in the mood that that sets you on high um I'm going to say Sizzler, Dry Cry. Mm. Um, I really, really like that song. I mean, ding, 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 just the beginning of it and it's over. Yeah, Dry Cry, Sizzler. Conversely, what is your favorite dance hall, the one that makes you broke out? Anything from Vibes Cartel. Sorry, mommy, but Vibes Cartel is the <laughs> boss. He, <laughs> is, he really is. I do not condone his outside of music activities, but his music, off the chain. Got you, got you. Now, Tony, when you're 95 years old and you're sitting on your rocking chair in Portland at your mansion overlooking the river or the beach, when you look back at your life, what would you like to say was your ultimate dream? What was that thing that you wanted to accomplish uh, and you could say, yes, I did that? What right now at, at this point in your life is the thing that you really, at the end of it all, would like to say, this is my ultimate dream? I would like to be able to say, as I sit next to my husband, by the way, Christine, if you could just add that into the vision, that would be amazing. Well, so, I, well he, was like inside, he was inside making, drawing some tea for both of you. You, you know what? I like how you think. I like how you think. We'll, we'll work with that. Um, <laughs> I would like to be able to say that 
you know, thanks to thanks to my vision, thanks to my actions, and thanks to my courage, average Jamaicans have been able to access levels of income and levels of lifestyle that they would not have been able to had I not taken those steps. I want to be able to go into a Jamaican supermarket and somebody say, you know, TK, thanks to these things that I learned from you or thanks to this institution and organization that you put in, I don't have to check the price tag of basic items anymore. I can I can literally just pick up the things that my family needs. You know, thanks to you, my family just took their very first family vacation that we've ever taken. Thanks to you, our lifestyle has been improved. That 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 would that that would be it for me. I I, I would die happy if I knew that people's people lived a better lifestyle because of my contribution here. Indeed, indeed. Now, TK, this is a part of the interview where I strap on my spacesuit and I jump out into outer space and I leave you on planet 30 all alone. Tell the people in the audience whatever it is you want to tell the people. The planet is yours. Oh, wow. A planet all to myself. Say no more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, other than the fact that I am absolutely grateful um, that you took the time to listen to this, um, to listen to this, this interview, Um, I guess I would leave you with this. Um, one of the, one of the things that has helped, because I am a, I'm a, when I say regular, I am a regular girl from a regular (laughs) neighborhood who went to regular schools and had regular experiences. I am no different or I'm not exceptional in any way, shape or form. I have had some exceptional experiences and some exceptional results in my life, however, and that was due to just having some really good habits taught to me. Um, One of my challenges, and I don't know, maybe it's yours, is, you know, there are things that I want to accomplish and they seem so huge, they seem so big that, you know, you probably tell yourself, I could never do that. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not smart enough for that. I don't have the resources for that. I don't know the right people for that. I could never do something like that. I, that was me all the time. And what I realized is that when breaking it down into some really, really small, really bite-sized um, things to do, not only did it make it more possible and more feasible, but by doing those little things and accomplishing those little tasks that led up to the big goal, it gave me the confidence to go after bigger and bigger and bigger until I look behind me and I'm like, oh my God, did I really accomplish that? I didn't even realize it because the steps were so small. So I would say definitely start from now to instill some very small, simple habits and just do them over and over and over again and you would be surprised how life changes in six to 12 months. Tiny changes every day mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. And one one question that I, I have to stick in, somebody who- You're back who, on the planet now. I'm sorry? You're back on the planet. I'm back on the planet. Back. I'm back on the planet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of all the, you're, you're such a ball of positivity and information. Uh, clearly, you're inspired by things and people. Um, who or what? Inst- well, I have two two questions. Who or what inspires TK? And also, um, give us a list of books that you you quite enjoy or that you've drawn information from. 
who or what inspires TK? That list is unbelievably long. I find I, I find many people inspirational. I, I find almost everybody inspirational because chances are you are doing something. One of your strengths is one of my weaknesses, and 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 for sure, um, I draw inspiration from everyone. What I what I can say is that in different phases of my life, I am tuned into different things, and right now, I'm really tuned in to the power of the mind and being exposed to you know a lot of studies that are being done on the mind and so right now i'm very big on dr joe dispenza who is brilliant (laughs) he's like a neuroscientist who has um uncovered the correlation between thought and reality and how we really have a lot more power over our reality when we control our thoughts and um that uh, that research has been amazing so dr joe dispenza is somebody that i'm I'm following very closely right now um in terms of books there were three books that changed my life the very first book was the compound effect by darren hardy have to read that book um the next was the science of getting rich Mm. brilliant totally changed the, the, the game when it came to my understanding of money and acquiring it and um several others but i would say another very powerful one for me um was a tie between the magic of thinking big and the power of positive thinking those two books were exceptional and totally changed as soon as i finished reading those books i did i did things that totally changed my life immediately wonderful wonderful now to note i execute books let me let me make that very i don't read books i study books and i execute whatever i said that's very important very important not just to not just to, yeah. to 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 skim over the information, but to apply it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, after listening to this wonderful interview, I know everybody's going to want to contact TK Dawkins. <laughs> How do we contact you? Where do we follow you? Give us the rundown. So the best way to reach me is on Instagram. I am tk.dawkins on Instagram. Um, if you, and a, a direct message in Instagram is by far the easiest way to get to me. Um, failing that, <laughs> um, I can also be emailed at tkdawkins at gmail.com. So those are the two main ways to find me. Um, but what I would love is to meet you. And to do that, you can just join my morning routine in the mornings. That's, um, that's on Zoom. And there's a link in my bio on Instagram, which again is tk.dawkins and that will take you into the zoom room and we can we can we can par we can hang out wonderful <laughs> wonderful wonderful how many people are using on your zoom a lot um it's grown significantly so it started you know it's funny crispin i was introduced to meditation and you know positive thinking and stuff and i said you know what this has been so great for me i'm going to invite a couple of friends i invited my dad and my cousins and some friends and it was like six of us and then 10 of us and then maybe 14 16 of us and now on any given day it's it can be anywhere from i don't know 180 220 people and they started maybe five months ago maybe it's so long wonderful wonderful really is getting some great great results from people and they're sharing it so I'm, i'm happy for that she's done so much marketer Play uh, theater director, 
entrepreneur, and she isn't done yet. TK Dawkins, it was an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on Planet 30. Thank you for being here. The pleasure was mine. Thank you, Crispin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.